Now, before I became a pastor, I was building houses, working as a carpenter, and I quite enjoyed it. And I would spend a lot of time reading the blueprints of any of the particular house that I was building. You know, it was really important that I would build the house according to how it was designed to be built. So I'd study them, I'd read them, I'd double check. You know, I'd, I'd go and I'd work on something, then run back to the blueprints to make sure that I'd done that one thing properly. But what was interesting is that the more time I spent in the blueprints, the more familiar I became with them. And then building the house, it just seemed to be a more natural process. I could frame with a, a confidence and a certainty that what I was doing was right because I was spending the time really studying those prints. Well, this next episode about how to read the Bible, I want to look at this Bible reading method called precepts. And in precepts, we get kind of some structure and help in what it might look like for you to spend a lot more time and look more in-depth at any given text. So let's dive into it. Hi, and welcome to the How to Read the Bible podcast series, a podcast series designed to help you grow in your knowledge and desire for reading the Bible. Hello again, my name is Adam Beyer. I'm an associate pastor at Terwilliger Community Church, and I just want to thank you for journeying with me in this series. And I'm excited to bring today just another method of Bible reading that might enhance your time with the Lord, enhance your understanding of Scripture. Uh, In our last episode, we talked about three questions, that as we read the Bible, we've prayed and asked that God would speak to us, and we get to a certain chunk in that passage that we're reading, and we feel like we need to stop and camp there, and we'll ask three questions. What does it say? What does it mean? What does it mean to me? And I hope that you've been able to try that method and that it's been beneficial to you. I know that I use that method quite a bit. Now, for today, I want to look at a method called precepts. Uh, It's an inductive Bible study tool. And what it is, is there's a ministry out there called Precept Ministries, uh, run by a lady named Kay Arthur. And she's developed this process uh, to to read the Bible in a more in-depth way. So again, let's say that you've been reading, you find something that jumps out at you, uh, maybe you ask those initial three questions with it, but, but let's say you want to go a little bit deeper. You might use this inductive method. Um, or let's say that you are a leader of a Bible study and you want to um, take a group through that text. You might use this Bible study method. And it focuses similarly to the three questions around three ideas. The first is an idea of observation. We discover what the text says. The second is an idea of interpretation, discover what it means. And the third is application, discover how it works. So very, very similar to our three questions, but what this inductive Bible study method gives us is an opportunity and a structure in which we might go even deeper in those questions. So for the purposes of this this episode, I want us to look at Psalm 23. And I, I choose that because it's very familiar A lot of you probably have it memorized. You may not even realize you have it memorized. But if you're driving in your car and you can't pull out your Bible and read along or you're out for a walk listening to this podcast, uh, you'll be able to hopefully interact with with it a bit better. And so um, the inductive Bible study spends a lot of time answering the question, what does it say? And I think it's an amazing tool. I use this often when I'm going to prepare a sermon. And for some of you, this might appeal a lot more than for others, and that's okay. Some of you might listen to this and be like, oh my goodness, this is ridiculous. Who actually does this? And there are people out there who faithfully do this method. They really enjoy it. And there's others who look at it and say, I would never do that. Again, that's okay. Uh, Whether you're going to use this method in its entirety or whether you're just going to take a few ideas from it, 
Either way, that's fantastic. I hope that as I walk through it, you will just learn. So let's start by looking at observation, discover what it says. We have nine steps in here, and what I'm going to be doing is just walking through a PDF that Precepts Ministries has made available on their website. I'm going to put a link to this PDF in the notes of this podcast series, so hopefully you can click on it and access it yourself. But yeah, I'm just going to walk us through it and kind of um, through the lens of Psalm 23. And so hopefully as I talk and, and we walk through this, you'll learn a bit of how you might do this yourself. And also before we jump into it, the precept method is very dependent on you being willing to mark up your Bibles. You know, I've had some people talk to me uh, as this podcast series has been going and as I've been teaching a class on how to read the Bible. And they've said, you're like, man, I just, I can't get over this marking up my Bible thing. And that's, that's okay, but I want to encourage you to, to just try it. Try marking up your Bible. Maybe you want to spend 20, 30 bucks and order a different Bible off Amazon, and it can be the Bible that you mark up. Uh, whatever it is, I just encourage you to mark up your Bible because I, I really believe that Bible reading becomes more engaging as you, as you take your hands and you write with a pencil crayon or a pencil or a pen in your Bible, underlining and marking, and we'll be talking a lot about that. So the observation part of the inductive study begins with the first step of prayer. And we've talked about prayer a lot in our study time uh, in this podcast series, so I don't want to spend too much time on there, but just again to reiterate that as we look at God's word, it's so appropriate that we pray. And um, so the assumption here is that you've prayed and read through the text in its entirety. So you've sat down, you've prayed, you've read all of Psalm 23. The second step in the observation is to ask the five W's and an H. Who, what, when, where, why, how. And these questions are the building blocks um, of, of being um, observant of what's going on in the text. So in the case of Psalm 23, let's answer the question of who. Well, the who of Psalm 23, right in the first verse, we read, the Lord is my shepherd. We have two who's identified right off the bat. We have the Lord and we have me or I, the, the person who's writing this psalm. Now, if you're familiar with the psalm, you'll also notice that later on in the psalm, we have another person who's introduced. When we read, you prepare before me, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So we have the shepherd or God is one person. You have the author or, or me um, as the second. And thirdly, we have the enemies listed in this psalm. So there's three who's in this psalm. Now, precepts would teach us in th- at this point to mark up each and every time a who is referenced in your text. So I have taken a yellow pencil crayon and I've gone through the whole psalm and I've marked Lord or any references to Lord or the shepherd in yellow. So when I just look at Psalm 23 in my Bible, I can tell you where God is referenced everywhere in that psalm. Similarly, I've taken an orange pencil crayon and I've marked every reference to the author um, with an orange pencil crayon. So you would read the Lord, highlighted in yellow, is my shepherd. My is highlighted in orange. Shepherd, highlighted in yellow. I lack nothing. The I highlighted in orange, and so on and so forth. Um, And then I get down to my enemies, and something that K. Arthur teaches in the precept precept method is to mark Satan or the enemy uh, with a specific symbol. And she kind of uses this little pitchfork symbol. And so I've marked enemies with this little symbol. Um, another way that it's helpful to help you identify who is being referenced, you might want to reference um, 
Anything that references God the Father, you might want to make it with a triangle. Anytime Jesus is referenced, you might put a cross. And anytime the Holy Spirit is referenced, you might make a little cloud above the reference as well. And so this just helps you bring clarity to what's going on in the text. And this is especially helpful when you get into Paul's letters, because Paul spends a ton of time uh, going back and forth with who is he talking about? Is he talking about God? Is he talking about Jesus? Is he talking about the Holy Spirit, the Father? Uh, Who's his audience? Who's the me? Who's the you? Who's the he? Um, But if we take the time and read through it, marking it, um, it becomes very easy for us to see what Paul is saying. It becomes a lot easier to track with his argument. So we've answered the who, uh, the what. I don't think there's a, a ton of what to answer in this, except that the topic of this psalm, you might say, is God's character or how we might relate to God. So that might be an appropriate what to say. The when of this We know that it's written in the Old Testament. We know that David is attributed as the author before he was king. Um, Not overly significant in understanding the meaning of the text, but that could answer the when. The where, well, we know that David was uh, a shepherd outside of Bethlehem, so we might say that Bethlehem was potentially where this was written. Again, in this specific case, it's not that important. Uh, And the why, why did he write this? Well, we're not totally sure. We don't necessarily need to speculate. But a quick note on some of these, when, where, why, that can become a lot more significant in the context of different texts. You know, it matters in terms of uh, which king, when is this happening in this scenario? When is this battle happening? When was this king disobedient? What was the context of that? Was it before exile or after? All these different things are are important for us to answer. Uh, And if you can't find the answer to them, Just by reading your Bible and looking in your Bible, it might be a good time to grab a commentary or look to answer those questions. So that's the second step in the observation piece. Third, K. Arthur invites us to mark key words and phrases. So a key word is one that is essential to this text. And when I look at um, Psalm 23, it's interesting because I'm like, okay, what would a key word be? If we're thinking about themes or an overarching message of the psalm, you could say that the words goodness and love would might be a key word in this text because ultimately it seems like that's where the psalm is going. It seems like that's what the psalm is trying to teach us. And so if that's the case, you might want to grab again a different color pencil crayon or highlighter and mark the words goodness and love um, in, in that specific color. Uh, this becomes really important in different texts as well when we see a lot of repetition. So if you, if you notice repetition, um, it'll again jump out at you as you mark it. Uh, just uh, earlier this month, I was studying in the book of Ephesians for our men's ministry at the church, and I was teaching out of Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, and as I was doing this inductive method, and I noticed that the word grace was referenced three times. And so I took a pencil crayon, and each time grace was referenced, I highlighted it. And that became a very important thing for me in teaching the book of Ephesians to the men, because I was able to say, do you guys notice the theme of grace in this text? And it just jumped out. And it, there was a principle within that. And, uh, and so you'll notice that as you take the time to mark key words, you'll notice things like repetition. And that's really important. Uh, so mark key words and phrases. That's step three. Step four is to make lists. Now, if, um, if this doesn't sound like a method you're going to use, I want to really hone in on this one, making lists. Making lists, I think, is incredibly important. Um, And of this method, of the precepts Bible study method, 
I probably use this principle more than any other. And if you were to look at my Bible, you'd see all these different places where I've stopped and I've written one, two, three over different things in Scripture. So let's again look at Psalm 23 and and look for a list within Psalm 23 and you'll kind of catch what I mean. So the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. So there's a statement right off the top. He makes me, one, lie down in green pastures. He, two, leads me beside still waters. He, three, refreshes my soul. And four, he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. See how easy that is? So the Lord is my shepherd. And what does that mean? How does that play out in your life? Well, I'll tell you four things how that plays out in my life. See, now you're writing a sermon. But he makes me lie down in green pastures, one. He leads me beside quiet waters, two. He refreshes my soul, three. He guides me along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So really quick, you can look at this and say, okay, yeah, there's four ways that, that God as shepherd relates to me. That's really cool. Um, and, and so pay attention to whenever you have lists referenced. And it doesn't take long to look throughout scripture to see all the different times um, lists are made. You know, an obvious word is the word and, you know, God does this and that. Well, there's a list of two things. And we see that in these lists, if you're a list person, you're really going to love it. And it's probably why I love it so much. Um, But as I look at this, you know, immediately I have those numbers marked out in my Bible. There's four ways that the good shepherd relates to me. So next is the fifth step of this which is to contrast. So looking for contrast. So words like but, or words like um, however, or therefore, these types of things mark shifts in the thought that's happening in the text. So when we're reading Psalm 23, we read, he refreshes my soul, he guides me along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. But then we read this, even though I walk. And you could look at that and say, okay, even though I walk, um, there seems in there to be some sort of contrast that that the author is saying that the Lord, I relate to the Lord in these four ways. And that thought goes even further for him to say that even though I walk through the darkest valley, and immediately we get a contrast between the darkest valley and the green pastures, quiet waters, and right paths that were referenced earlier. Do you see how that works? So we see a contrast with the word even. Even though I walk. And so he's contrasting what he's about to say to what he's just said. And as you read this psalm, you kind of see this uh, this whole idea um, of the contrast between a comfortable place and an uncomfortable place come up over and over again. So this expression, even though I walk through the darkest valley, is a really important one to note. Um, When you're reading Paul's letters, it's extremely important. Again, when you're reading Ephesians chapter 2, you see two strong, strong uses of the word but, but now. Paul first in Ephesians 2 spends time talking about how as Gentiles um, or how as people who are unsaved, they were separated to God to God because of their sinful nature, because of their, their culture that they were living in and because of the enemy, the evil one. And he goes on to talk about this terrible state that they're in, but he says, but now, and he goes on to talk about the salvation that God's going to work or has worked. And that's when he says that you are God's workmanship. It's this beautiful, beautiful thing. Right after that, he goes on to talk about how the Gentiles were separated from God because they were Gentiles, because they were not part of 
the Jewish community. They were not Israelites. But then again, Paul says, but now, because of what Jesus has done, he's worked peace. And so we see those expressions, those contrasts being very important in us understanding and tracking with what the author of any text is saying. So that's the fifth step. Six, we mark expressions of time. And uh, K. Arthur encourages you to do this by highlighting the expression of time and then underlining from that expression uh, to what is included in it. So let me explain that a little bit when we look at Psalm 23. There's not a lot of references of time in Psalm 23, but when we get down to the bottom of the passage, we read, Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. So the reference to time is will follow me all all of the days. So I highlighted all with green and I've underlined the days. So all the days is an expression of time. And then similarly, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so forever again is an expression of time. So I've highlighted forever, but then I've also um, underlined backwards from the word forever, um, the words, I will dwell in the house of the Lord. So the expression of the time of forever, that expression of time relates back to um, that forever I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Does that make sense? So you highlight the reference to time, so in this case forever, and then you underline what it's referring to. So forever I will dwell in the house of the Lord, um, or all the days of my life. Again, very similar time references, but what's happening in that time, all the days of my life? Well, you underline backwards to God's goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. So expressions of time, very important. The seventh step in this method is to mark locations. And uh, again, we're encouraged to mark locations with a double underline. And when you read Psalm 23, you might not think there's lots of locations referenced, but in fact there are. Right off the top, we get a reference to green pastures, quiet waters, right paths, darkest valley, in the presence of my enemies. Uh, And in each one of these, we have a location referenced. So you might take your your pencil crayon or whatever it is you're marking, you might grab a different color and double underline each and every one of those. And again, the benefit of this is that each time we have a location change or a different location referenced, it should kind of help us compartmentalize each of those thoughts because each one's being referenced for a certain reason. In the case of Psalm 23, the author, David, is making references to this rich imagery. But in each change location, you're invited to picture something new. And you see how that kind of brings new life to it? It's not just green pastures. It's not just quiet waters. But the the green pastures are in, in and of themselves a specific place. The quiet waters in and of themselves a specific place. The right paths, the darkest valley, each one. You can kind of use your imagination and picture yourself there. And David tells us what takes place in each one of those locations. And it's just a different way to read it, a different way to see the text. The eighth step in this method is to mark terms of conclusion. So words such as therefore, thus, and for this reason, they indicate that a conclusion or summary is being made. And so you're going to want to identify those in your text. Again, this becomes incredibly important when we read um, Paul's letters, because by identifying terms of conclusion, you're actually able to track with his argument a whole lot easier. Now, the terms of conclusion laid out in um, 
in Psalm 23 are used in the word for and the word surely. So we read, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. And you might stop there and say, well, why? Well, for you are with me. So the reason I don't fear evil is because God is with me. You see how that argument just, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you underline that word for. Uh, Later on in the text, we read, surely your goodness and love will follow me. And here the author is using the word surely to mark, it's a term of conclusion, that he's moving to a thought that is built upon everything that was mentioned before. So we could see the Lord being my shepherd, him lying me down in green pastures, leading me beside quiet waters, guiding me in right paths, um, being with me in the darkest valley, all these things to be an argument um, leading up to this, this main point that surely God's goodness and love will follow me. Well, why? Well, because he's the good shepherd, because he leads me in green pastures. Even though I'm in the darkest valley, I don't have to fear. And all of these things are an expression of God's goodness and love following me. And so I, I just noticed those two different terms of conclusions in this text with the words for and the words surely. And then lastly, step nine is to identify chapter themes. And we've talked a bit about this already. You might get to this quickly when you're doing the who, what, when, where, why, and the why. Why is this text important? Um, you might get to these themes. But it's very simple, and this almost points and leads us into the next ideas, is, well, why is this text important? Why might this be important to you? You know, what are the themes? Well, the themes, God's goodness and God's love, God's presence in the valley. You know, all these different things, these themes are there. And you might want to write a list in your Bible next to Psalm 23 with some of these theme ideas. And so that's the nine steps in the observation part of discovering what it says. I know that K. Arthur has more in-depth methods of this where you can do even more marking it up. Now, if you've been following me along and marking as we've gone, your Psalm 23 is probably covered in different colors and underlines, and that's okay. And I think what's so precious about this method is that it forces you to read through the text over and over and over again, and each time marking and looking for something different. Um, Her worksheet for this, it goes on to talk about interpretation, discovering what the text means. She addresses issues like remembering that context is really important, that we need to look at the full counsel of the Word of God, looking at cross-references, where are these principles from one text laid out in another. She talks about remembering that Scripture will never contradict Scripture. She talks about that we don't have to base our convictions on, a, on an obscure passage of Scripture, that sometimes there are these weird um, passages that we maybe really struggle to understand, but it's probably more appropriate for us to seek wisdom and guidance on that from an outside source rather than to just say, oh, this is the way it is and plant your feet in it. Uh, her fifth step is to interpret Scripture literally. And then last six is to look for a single meaning of the passage. And she, she lays these out really quickly. Uh, and then lastly, the application, discovering how it works. Um, again, very similar to what we talked about last time. It's just as you read God's word, what is it saying to you? And based on what it's saying, what is it compelling you to do? In the case of Psalm 23, it might be addressing issues of unbelief in your life. So if Psalm 23 is teaching us that God is good, that uh, surely his, his goodness, his mercy, his love is going to follow you, well, the question might be, do I believe that? Um, and as you read Psalm 23, it might be bringing up ways that you need to deal with some unbelief in your life, that 
And then you might ask of yourself, how might I live differently if I really believe that the Lord is my shepherd? So really quickly, that's the inductive Bible study method. I'm sure if Kay Arthur heard this, she'd be shocked and appalled that I haven't spent more time on it. But I, I hope that these nine steps in the observation section, I'm hoping that there's one or two of these things that's going to help enhance your time in God's Word. Uh, she's written a book that's available on Amazon called Lord, Teach Me to Study Your Word. So you can just look that up. Again, the author is Kay Arthur, and she walks you through this through many different books of the Bible, and you can get lots of practice with it if this is a method that you love. And I really liked my opening illustration talking about uh, reading blueprints. You know, blueprints helped me be a better builder because you spend so much time trying to understand how how, how the house is supposed to be built. And I think similarly, this inductive method gives you an invitation to spend more time in God's Word, to be reading a specific text over and over and over again to help you gain a better understanding. Well, there you have it, a few more ideas to help you engage in your Bible reading. Thank you for listening to the How to Read the Bible podcast series. Please subscribe to this channel, share it with a friend, and check back next week for our last episode. The music for this podcast series is provided by the Hopeful Sun Worship Collective, and you're listening to their song, Opening Up. My name again is Adam Beyer, and until next time, take joy in reading your Bible. God bless.